Latter-day Saint Home Educators is pleased to bring you this audio presentation recorded live during the February 2023 online Midwinter Home Education Conference. Great. Thank you so much, Jen. I'm so glad to be here. I'm really grateful for all of you for showing up and spending an hour with me today. I'm thankful for all the people who have planned this and put so much time into it. It's a big sacrifice and we're grateful that you put this together. I would love to know about you a little bit. How many kids do you have? Pop it in the chat. Let's find out how many collective children, two boys, five kids, four, three, Four under six years, four boys, two girls, three grown-ups. Okay, three kids. So between the lot of us, we've got um, a small army of children. And the, of course, we all know they're the best thing ever, but it can be challenging to try to homeschool all of them. Okay, Rebecca has seven, two, one girl, seven, and a boy who's five, nine kids. Okay, so yeah, lots of kids among all of us. And I know it is so wonderful and fulfilling to have kids, but it also can be really challenging. And so today, what I'm hoping to give you is some inspiration, some concrete tools on how to homeschool with a whole bunch of kids, and some encouragement that you can homeschool, you can add more babies to it if you want to, and you can do it, and it will be great. So hopefully when you leave, you'll have, you'll feel your load is manageable and hopefully have one or two things. Of course, you're the expert of your life situation. So the spirit will tell you what you need to hear. And I'm hoping each of you will pick up a nugget or two. So the name of the class is the more the merrier, because that's my attitude about having kids. The more the merrier. And sometimes people say, oh, how many kids do you have? Are those all your kids? And yes, they're all my kids. The more the merrier. I'm really grateful to have all these kids. Here's my email address. If you have any questions after or you want to connect, I'd love to hear from you. Louisa M as in Mary Wells at yahoo.com. This is a picture of my family. We have nine children. We've been homeschooling their whole education. My oldest is on a mission in Alabama and my next is headed to Bulgaria in June. So we're now, we're now at the point we've launched a couple, but as you can see from the picture, we still have a little, little guy who's now two. Um, during that time that we've been homeschooling, I've spent 20 years pregnant, nursing, or both, and that adds some interesting challenges. And so uh, over the years, I've kind of had to develop workarounds because I feel like you're never at full capacity when you're pregnant or nursing or both. And so relying on the kids and helping them do a lot of the work has been sort of a necessity. And in the process of doing that, I've tried to really think about what am I doing? How am I doing? And so hopefully that will help me share some ideas with you. Essentially, what I've realized is that homeschooling a large family is kind of its own homeschooling style. You know, we hear about classical education, we hear about Charlotte Mason education, and when you're homeschooling a lot of kids, you kind of have to draw from a lot of places, but some of the elements of all of those things don't really fit because you have this large spread of age ranges, or even if it's only two children that are very diverse from each other, you have to really kind of think about it in its own special way, but it can be done. This is a picture of Eliza R. Snow painted by Glenn Hopkinson. You may know that Eliza R. Snow was the second wife uh, I'm sorry, Mary Fielding Smith. I don't know why I said Eliza R. Snow. Mary Fielding Smith is who the picture is and who I'd like to talk about. Mary Fielding Smith is the second wife of Hiram Smith. You may know that his first wife, Jerusha, died, leaving him with six children. And so he proposed to Mary Fielding and they got married and they ended up having two children. One was Joseph F. Smith, who later went on to become the prophet and president of the church. And the second was named Martha. And then, of course, Hiram Smith was martyred when they were in Nauvoo, and that left Mary Fielding Smith taking care of the six older children and the two that she had given birth to, to cross the plains by herself. And in addition to those, when she crossed the plains, she also added to her family 
some elderly people. And I don't really know the details, only that there were some elderly in her wagon with her or pulling on her handcart. And so when she went to join the company, Captain Lott, who was the captain of 10, who would be over her, told her she should stay behind because she really couldn't make the journey. It would be too difficult. And she told him, I will do it and I will beat you to the valley and I won't ask you for any help. And she did. She went the whole way and she did, in fact, beat him to the valley by a whole 24 hours, if I understand it right. And as they would walk, you know, each day she and her family would get up earlier than all the other wagons and they would they, they would start out early and then they would go slow, their slow pace they could go. And then at night they would be the last into camp. And by the time they got there, the other people would be gathered around the campfire singing and dancing and having fun. And she and her family would just go to bed and not participate in the fun. And when the children balked at that, she told them, well, we have to get up earlier and we'll have our fun along the way. And so then they would try to sing and play games as they were walking and, and they were able to then make it the whole journey. And I really like this story about Mary Fielding Smith, especially when I think about homeschooling a large family, because sometimes it seems like all the naysayers are telling me, you can't do it. There's no way that you can homeschool. You should put them in public school. You shouldn't try this. This is too hard. You should stop having babies. And it's none of their business, but it can get into my head unless I have something firm to think for myself. And so I often think about this story of Mary Fielding Smith, and I think, the key was that she was determined, first of all, that she was relying on the Lord, second of all, and third, that she was willing to put in the work, even if it meant getting up earlier and living a little different lifestyle along the way than all of the other people. And I find that with homeschooling, sometimes that has to be the case for me. And so I draw a lot of strength from thinking about this story about Mary Fielding Smith. You may remember the talk in October 2021 general conference given by Elder Michael A. Dunn when he talked about making 1% improvements. And the story that he told was about the British cycling team. And apparently the British cycling team was so bad that people didn't even want to sell their bikes to the to that team. Until in 2003, they got a new coach and his name was Sir Dave Brailsford. Um, and this is a quotation from Elder Dunn's talk. He said, unlike previous coaches who attempted dramatic overnight turnarounds, Sir Brailsford instead committed to a strategy he referred to as the aggregation of marginal gains. This entailed implementing small improvements in everything. That meant constantly measuring key statistics and targeting specific weaknesses. The whole principle came from the idea that if you broke down everything you could think of that goes into riding a bike and then improved it by 1%, you will get a significant increase when you put them all together. And so this is the, the approach that I try to take with homeschooling. Rather than thinking of a massive overhaul of how I should do everything better, I try to focus on 1% improvements. And hopefully you'll find just a 1% marginal gain that you can make to improve your homeschool. But the point is not to do the Louisa Wells method. The point is you are the expert of your experience and just make a 1% improvement. And if you do that, on several different levels and, and multiple times, you'll find that you're getting consistent results. So I have organized my presentation into some principles that I would like you to draw from that I think are very applicable and that hopefully the spirit can help you know how to apply that principle to your specific situation. So the first is firm foundation first. We all know that we need to have a good spiritual foundation. Here's what President Nelson said about it. He said, my dear brothers and sisters, these are the latter days. If you and I are to withstand the forthcoming perils and pressures, it is imperative that we each have a firm spiritual foundation built upon the rock of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Of course, we know from church and every primary answer, every Sunday school answer ever, we need to say our prayers and go to church, read our scriptures. But sometimes we let the less important things distract us. And when we think about it, we know we want our kids to have a great spiritual foundation. In fact, I would say that's my most important thing. If my children graduate from my homeschool with no practical education, but they have a strong testimony, I would prefer that to having the alternative where they have a great education and no spiritual foundation. And so if I have to choose one or the other, it's the 
it's that spiritual foundation I want. Of course, I don't really want to have to choose. I really want them to have both, but that that spiritual foundation is key to the the foundation of our lives. For me, what this means is taking time every single day to let the Lord into my life. And so that means I'm studying by myself. I'm studying with my spouse. I'm studying with my family. And that way we can make sure that each day we're starting with a firm foundation on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're building up from there. And, you know, there are times in all of our lives, for instance, when we have a new baby or a move or something, there are times where everything goes bonkers and we have to revert to what's our most important. And when we've identified that that spiritual foundation is the most important, it's really clear. That's where you go back to. That's where you start when you feel like everything has just broken down start back with that spiritual foundation. Personally, what I do is I make sure that I spend three weeks focusing on that foundation before I move on to anything else at times when everything has just broken down. And I'm going to be honest, that often happens every school year starting. I have to refocus every new semester in January is really hard for me. So I usually have to focus repeatedly right on that spiritual foundation. If you are not having these simple times with your family, scriptures and prayer, it's like you're wearing ruby slippers that you're not clicking your heels together. You have the tools, you have the power to take care of it. I'm really grateful for the Come Follow Me curriculum that we've been using for the last few years. I feel like it shifted everybody's mindset from church being something we partake of to something that we do at home and live. Our family with the age range that we have from high school down to toddlers, we've found that the simplest thing to do for Come Follow Me is to just go straight through it. We discuss one of the passages each day. It's not fancy. It's simple. We sing a song and have a prayer, but we do it pretty much every day of the whole year. And my husband commutes an hour and a half each direction. So he's usually not able to be in the home when we're having scriptures. So he just joins us over Zoom. And so that makes me even grateful for COVID because we didn't think of that before then. We just tried to make do without dad. Okay, the next, uh, next principle is mom matters. And this is one of my favorite principles. If you were to visit the temple in Laie, Hawaii, you would see this beautiful water fountain. As you can see, it kind of cascades down from the temple. And right up in the middle, you would find this statue. As you can see, it's a woman holding a giant clamshell. And she has her three children with her. And the water is pouring from the clamshell down into over her children and then down into the fountain. And apparently it was made to symbolize the, the woman has collected the blessings of heaven and then she is pouring those out onto her children and they go forth onto her future generations that are symbolized by the pool and the pool drains into the sea and fills the earth. And I think it's such a beautiful analogy of the power and the influence that we have as women right behind her head, it says maternity. And as women, we have an influence over our children that transcends time and goes forth to generations. But if you look closely at her, her focus is right on that clamshell. She is working hard to hold that puppy up and, and dump the blessings onto her children. And the clamshell can get heavy. Being the mom can get heavy. And we have to find a way to set it down and take breaks for ourselves. We want to, we want to do that. And, but sometimes we don't know how to do that. So we, what we need to do is focus on taking care of ourselves, body, mind, and spirit, and making goals for ourselves and continuing to grow. Two of the things that have really helped me over the years are on this screen. One is mom's night out. I take a regular night out every week, most of the time. And I must be a better person afterwards because my family is extremely supportive of this habit. I have done different things over the years, but I try to always have it be something that helps me grow and learn. 
Sometimes I have had to do retail therapy, just go shopping, but I try to make it meaningful. I've done rock climbing, yoga, painting, public speaking, all kinds of interesting different things, art, drawing, anything I can find so that I have something I can plan on where I'm filling my mind with ideas. And this has really been a blessing for my family in many ways. For example, one time I participated in a in a contest and I lost and I was, I was sad. And then just a week or so later, my son competed in a piano contest and he didn't do as well as he wanted to. And when I found him, he was laying in bed with his head over his blanket over his head. And I felt so grateful to be able to sit beside him and really empathize. I know what you're going through. I just lost myself. This is so hard, but we get back up and we try again and we don't give up when this happens to us. And to have that wellspring of parenting come because I had been taking care of myself, it was really a meaningful moment. The other thing on the screen is something called the Tummy Team, it's an online physical therapy for your abdominal muscles and your pelvic floor muscles, if you need that. And I feel really grateful because it's much cheaper than going to physical therapy, but after giving birth to a lot of babies, some of our tummy muscles need help. The person who owns this business, Kelly Dean, is somebody whose voice I like to have in my head because she's very encouraging. And so even if you don't need physical therapy, perhaps just getting her emails will brighten your day. She's really a wonderful person. The next principle I want to talk about is strong systems keep us sane. In a smaller group or when you were just living by yourself in college, you have the flexibility to be disorganized and still pull things off. You can decide you want to do something at the last minute, hop in the car and go do it. That is not the case with a large family, especially as you start to have teenagers who have work schedules and social schedules and sports schedules. It can get so complicated to just schedule a few minutes for the family to be together. You really have to be organized. Sometimes women tell me, I can't have a lot of kids or I can't homeschool because I'm not very organized. And I like to remind them that organization is just a skill and it's something that we can learn. We just have to practice and learn and let, take lessons from people, ask people for help. So we're going to talk about some of the different systems that can keep us sane. W. Edwards Deming said, every system is perfectly designed to get the results that it does. If you're not familiar with him, he is a management consultant. He's kind of the guru of management. Stephen Covey quotes him. Everybody quotes Deming. And so my husband and I really like this quote because every system is designed to get the result it does. So if you look around your house and find that something's not working, backtrack to the system. What is the system? The system is producing what it's set up to produce. So you may need to change your system. So we're going to talk about three systems. One is a menu, second budget and finances, and third chores. And these household systems undergird all that we do. And when they are functioning, we have the ability to focus on homeschool. And when they are not functioning, it's really hard to focus on our homeschooling because we're a frantic mess, just trying to get dinner on the table, just trying to keep our bills paid, trying to get the house clean. Kids mess things up way faster than they naturally pick up. And so we have to really work hard and be organized. So I'm going to share with you what I do. And again, take something home, leave the rest. Okay. For menu, what I use is a website called Plan to Eat. There are several similar websites, but here's what it is. And I'm going to try to go in enough depth to be interesting and not too much depth to bore you if, cause I'm sure you're all very computer savvy. So when you log on to plan to eat, you're going to have these three tabs that I've circled at the top. This is the cooking tab. And what you do is you load into your website, all the recipes you want to make for dinner. And that sounds really daunting when you say it like that. Oh, everything I know how to cook, load it. Doesn't have to be that difficult. What I did was the first week I used it, I just told myself, I'm just putting in enough things for dinner for this week. And then the next week I added a few more things for dinner, not necessarily seven more because I have tacos almost every week. And then 
each week until now I have 150 recipes stored and I gradually add it on breakfast and lunch and side dishes and holiday foods. Once they're all in there, then you can scroll. And it's just so appealing to pick from a picture menu. Everything looks lovely that way. When you add in a new recipe, you get this screen that you fill in, or if you want to, you can import something from the web. So I really don't ever type in a recipe. I just find somebody with a recipe blog who has something similar enough. You can use this as a cookbook and have all your recipes right there and you can actually cook from it. I don't use it that way. Most of the things that I know, I'm not a really fancy cook. Most of the things that I cook, I pretty much know how to cook without a recipe or I have them in a recipe book already. So rather than using this as my cooking source, I just use it as my menu source, but you could use it to cook if you wanted to. And then if you wanted to let your college kids log on, all your family recipes would be right there. So you can import it from the web and you can get that way you can get the pictures that they already have and all the information they have in all the recipes I've ever put in. This one I've circled is the only time I've ever had to take a picture and upload it. So I've just been able to find everything on there and even a picture of leftovers I was able to find. So then even scheduling leftovers looks so beautiful. The next tab is the planning tab and you get this blank calendar. And as you can see on the left-hand side, you have all of your recipes uh, available to you right here. And then you just simply drag and drop them over onto the calendar. And once you've dragged and dropped them, it shows your menu everything that you want to have. Now, when you're uploading the recipes into the cooking section, you can also include what what items you're going to need from the grocery store. And then when you go onto the shopping tab, those will show up for you just as you put them in. What I personally do is instead of putting in every single ingredient, I only put the ones that I really wanna know about when I'm at the grocery store. For instance, I'm not gonna put salt on any recipes, even though every recipe needs salt because I don't really wanna be reminded about that every time I go shopping. And then you can sync this this recipe view, the, uh, this shopping list view, you can sync it with your phone. So when you're at the store, you just click and it will disappear. And by the time you get done shopping, it'll all be vanished. And as you can see, it's already organized by category of the store. So it's quite handy to be able to do your shopping that way. Um, I think that's all I wanted to say about plan to eat. If you want to use this code that's at the bottom, you can receive a 20% 20, 20 discount. I think that the price is like $40 a year. If you get it on Black Friday, I think it's $20 a year. But if you wanna use this code, you get a 20% discount. So I'll give you a second if you need to write that down. Looks like we have some, something in the chat. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Jen, for copying and putting that up there. Okay, so the code is in the chat now. Okay, the second system I wanted to talk about is budgeting. And for budgeting, I use YNAB, youneedabudget.com. And this has been a game changer for our family because I've been a budgeter for years, but YNAB, I mean, any, really any budgeting app that you have on your phone is going to give you this power to make your budgeting decisions as you're at the store. So you see something for sale and you, you know right then if you have the money for it. You don't need to buy it and return it or think about it. You have all the information and it will sync immediately with your spouse because we have had it happen where we both bought something at the same moment using the same dollar. And so that can be a pickle. So when you, when you log into YNAB, you are going to attach it to your bank account. And you'll see over here, I've pretended to attach it to a bank account. And then it will give you all the money from that bank right here, ready to assign. And you have these different categories, groups that you make for yourself, or you can use their pre-programmed ones. And each of them has several, you set up however many categories you want underneath them. Once you have your categories set up, you just simply 
put in how much money you want to put into that category for this month, and it will assign it down from there into into down down from the ready to assign category down into whichever line it is. In this case, vacation. And then once it's assigned there, it'll show you a little green bubble letting you know you have money set aside for that. So if I need to spend some money for vacation, I can easily quickly check, yes, I have that much money available. Once you spend some money, if I spend $600 and I already had only had planned $500, it will give you a red bubble. Evil red bubbles mean you are in big trouble. So you have overspent your budget and now you have to figure out what you're going to do. But that's the great thing about it. You have all the power to. So you can go up to one of your other categories and figure out, okay, well, I, I guess I'll move some grocery money down and now and and figure that budget out however you want to rearrange it. Another really cool feature that they have on YNAB is creating a target. So plan to eat subscription. I only pay for that once a year, but I don't want to get thrown off by it when the time comes. And so you can start saving a little bit each month. Obviously, I, like I said, it's only $40 or something. So that's not as pretty urgent, but for instance, my car insurance, that's over a thousand dollars. It is really nice to have a target. So you set that up here and tell it how much money how much money do I need? $40. And when do I need it? Yearly on September 1st. And then it will save the target. And then at the beginning of each month, it will have a little yellow bubble that's with a little clock by it. And it will tell you, okay, you need to go ahead and save some more money for this. In this case, $4 more, but sometimes it's more, whatever you need to save to be able to have that target already ready. And that's really helpful for categories where you only pay them once or twice a year, but they can really sneak up on you and you forget they're coming. So then once you've done that, once you've put some money in the target, it'll turn green, but it'll keep the clock by it. And so I like that because then I don't accidentally think to myself, oh, I overspent my grocery bill. I'll just take my plan to eat money. No, you can't do that because it's got a little clock by it. And then when you look at your transition, your transactions, you will go in, they'll download automatically from your bank. You can also type them in by hand if you want to, but you can download them from your bank and make sure that they are all categorized to the correct category. And they'll get a little green C right here when they've been checked. And then you can recon reconcile that with your bank. Probably many of you already use a budgeting software, but if you don't, I feel like it's really a game changer because, like I said, you have the power to do that right in your hand. The reason that I went with YNAB instead of some of the free apps are because they had a couple of features that I really wanted, and it's been a few years, so they may have changed and added them to others, but in particular, syncing with your spouse automatically. And then the second feature was that you can type into it. For instance, if I go to Target, I can type in right on my phone and split it up between categories right there from my phone. Because sometimes those stores like Target and Walmart, you might buy something in seven different categories at the same shopping trip. And the information is only on that receipt. And by the time I get home, that receipt's gone. So I like to be able to do that right in my car. Um, if you would like a free month of membership, I got you a discount code for that as well. And um, Jen, if I could ask you to pop that in the chat as well, that'd be great. Okay, the next um, system that I wanna talk about is chores. I think chores are so important. I and... didn't quite get it, I didn't quite oh, get it yet. Oh, sorry, did I go too fast? Okay, <laughs> yeah. sorry, okay. Um, Okay, while you're while you're putting it up there, I'll start telling you about chores. I mean, chores are so important. That's good. Okay, thanks. But they are so annoying. And in, enforcing chores is one of my personal least favorite things to do. But here are some keys, some principles for you. The most important thing is consistency. Whatever you enforce consistently will get done. Whatever you do not enforce consistently will not get done. And so I've, I feel like at some point as mothers, we have to just decide, I care about this and I'm going to enforce it and then set a block of time in our day to enforce it or it just won't get done. 
the second really important thing is variety. Variety, they say, is the spice of life. And I think that makes chores really successful. So what I try to do is rotate them a, a lot, but also not too much to make me crazy. So that sounds kind of conflicting. Let me explain what I mean. So some chores I'm going to rotate, rotate daily. Some I'm going to rotate weekly. Sometimes I give a kid a chore and tell them, this is your chore until Christmas. <laughs> this is your chore until I'm tired of you doing it, until you've showed me that you've mastered taking the trash out. And by giving different types of chores, rotating differently than give it gives everybody a little bit of variety there are some chores that nobody wants to do at all and so i try to rotate those on an every other day basis i'll assign two kids to the chore and then one does it on the odd days and one does it on the even days for instance dishes taking out the trash sometimes emptying the dishwasher that's one i've done like that and you don't have to make a fancy job wheel or have a fancy system, but you do have to have it written somehow so that your husband can also know who has which job so that he can also help enforce things. Um, one way that I sometimes have come up with job systems is in a moment of knowing what needs to be done, then I just divide up, here's what needs to be done right now. And this is my current best strategy on how to divide it up. For instance, the whole house is a mess. Thomas, you've got the living room. Harold, you've got the dining room. Sophia, you've got the school room. And then as I'm going, I write it down and that's our new chore system because I figure that in that moment, my subconscious will pick the best person for the job and then I'll just keep having them do it. I don't like to give people a job that they can't do without help because then that's really my chore. And so if they're going to have a job they need my help with, then I count that as a training time and I have to set that aside differently. And to be honest, the more kids I have, the less time I have to spend on training. So I don't really spend as much time on that as I did when they were little, when my oldest kids were little. Hopefully they'll all live through it. Um, one book that was really helpful to me about that, it doesn't, it's not about chores, but it was really helpful to my chore system. It's called How to Get Your Child to Practice Without Resorting to Violence. It's written by Cynthia Richards. And obviously it's focusing on music lessons and how to get them to practice their musical instruments. However, one thing was super helpful that came out of that book. She said, whatever works isn't going to work for forever. So you're going to have to change it up. And she gave a whole bunch of ideas of how to change up their practicing. But for me, it was sort of an aha moment to say, it's not supposed to work all the time. It's not supposed to keep working. What is working isn't going to work for very long. And sometimes I think it'll only work for six weeks. And then it'll start to feel clunky and I'll think, oh, something needs to change. And one thing changes and then that dominoes, everything changing. And then you'll just finally get in the swing of things. And eight weeks later, you've got to change again. And I used to feel really anxious and frustrated about that until I read this book and thought, oh, that's just a normal part of humanity. It's normal. It's fine. And I don't get myself all worked up about that now. What is important to me is that my children have a clean, enough house most of the time. That's my standard of what I'm shooting for, clean enough most of the time. And hopefully that'll get us, get them the opportunity to learn to work and to learn cleanliness and orderliness and also not drive us bonkers trying to be perfectionist. All right, the next topic that I wanted to talk about is academic achievement. Before I talk too much about it, I want to sort of reiterate something that's kind of been building here throughout my presentation. The first thing that we put into place is our firm foundation. The second thing that we put into place is taking care of mom. And the third thing that we put into place was the strong systems making, keeping us sane and helping our household run. And if you could imagine that you were building yourself a a building, maybe even a pyramid, and you were putting those layers in one at a time, if you have a strong foundation and you are taking good care of mom, so mom is healthy, mom is able to give all day long, like moms are demanded to do, and you have 
systems in place to keep your household running, to keep food on the table, to keep your bills paid, to keep your house clean. If you have all those things running up and running, you have all systems go, which is what they say in rockets, which is why I have a picture of a rocket here. So all systems go, you're ready for liftoff, right? And so academic achievement is not that difficult when you have these systems in place. But what I've noticed happens a lot of times with new homeschoolers is they come to it and they're so focused on education that they put things in the wrong order and they start out with academics and they're so focused on academics that they don't take care of their house cleaning or more commonly, they don't take care of mom. And so mom is starting to fall to pieces. Mom isn't having time to take care of herself. Mom isn't getting enrichment. Mom isn't isn't exercising. Mom isn't reading her scripture. And mom can only go two weeks before mom crashes in that situation. And then when mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. And so then the whole family gradually disintegrates. And so I have seen families who pull their kids out of school in August, start off so excited, buy fancy school books, implement curriculum, and then come Christmas, they put their kids back in school because they're, they're, house was established in the wrong order and they were so focused on the top of the building that they didn't get the foundation right and it is it takes a lot of patience and self-control when you're ready to start school and you think school needs to start on august 15th because that's what day our local public school is going to start i've got to be ready that's when we've got to start it takes patience and discipline to tell yourself no I'm not ready. I don't have my spiritual foundation. I don't have mom getting taken care of. I am not ready to give to my children the education they need. And then to delay the start of school a couple of weeks while you get yourself in order. It takes great discipline to do that. But I promise you that if you will have the discipline to put those other things in order, your, your academic efforts will go farther and will last longer because you will have a strong building beneath them. And then those academic achievements will be the beautiful part, the stained glass at the top of the building, and they will work great. And you will be very satisfied with them. And your house will be clean enough most of the time. And mom will be feeling really good. And you'll have a good spiritual foundation in your home. So now you go to attack your academic achievement. I wanna spend just a couple minutes with some ideas about these main subjects. What I, what I suggest that you do with school is designate your core academic subjects and decide as a family between you and your husband, what is our core academic, what subjects are going to be included in our core academics? And then start with those and make sure that those are your focus. And they might be different for everybody, especially depending on what you and your husband have to offer as far as your personal background goes. And I want to encourage you and invite you to take whatever is your strength and put that right in the core of your academics, because otherwise you're wasting an opportunity. You're wasting the gifts that God has already given you and the interests that you have and the passions that you have. And not sharing them with your children. And so go ahead and put those right in, right into your core academics. Our family has decided that core academics are going to include math, English, science, history, music, and art. And for a little background on that, I come from a family that's musical and my mom was an art major. So to me, those two subjects are core academics and I'm not letting them go by the wayside. To somebody else's family, music might not be core academics, and maybe art isn't core academics, but perhaps your family has a computer programmer in it, and so computer programming is in your core academics. It doesn't really matter as much as, as you having what you decide is your core academics, but then once you decide what's your core academics, make sure that your children are consistent in achieving those things. I don't see how you can get by without having a piece of math and English in there. So I wanna talk a little bit about some of the things that work for us. Um, in one of the classes this morning, and I apologize, I can't remember, I think it might've been Jen's class that um, she mentioned, pick six things that you can do in a day. I have found that with homeschooling, I can really only be involved personally 
in four or maybe five of the classes. So if I have, this year I have six students and if they're all taking a class in these five academic subjects, that's 30 classes. I can't personally be involved in all 30 classes. So I have to pick at the beginning of the year, which ones I am gonna be involved in. Math I have found to be one that I can delegate because so many curricula offer DVD instruction now at all levels. So I teach math up to second, up through second grade because third grade is where they're able to start getting online instruction. And then from that point on, I only grade their tests. One piece of advice for you about math, if you're going to use an online instructor of any kind, make sure that you personally grade the tests because you'll, that's how you'll notice if your student is struggling before they get into deep of a problem to be, to be satisfied. I have made the mistake of putting someone on an all computer instruction program and then at the end of the year realizing they did not know what they were doing and they really needed help a lot earlier. And I've had to have multiple children do redo entire math books because of that. But when, but when I started just grading just the tests, it's not too much grading for me to stay on top of. And I can tell if they are doing well. So I write down their test grades, even starting in the third grade, I write down their test grade and make sure that they're staying on top of their math. English is actually so many subjects rolled up into one. We were just talking as the class started about IEW writing. I have found that it is often difficult to do all of the parts of English on the same year. And so a lot of times what I'll choose to do is I will choose to do a strong writing curriculum and let my classic instruction or my grammar instruction be lesser for the year and kind of try to rotate and make sure that each student is getting a balance of those over time. But if I try to implement all the parts of English and math and science and history and music and art, uh, I'm going to go bonkers. So like I said, four, four or five things is really all I can be personally involved in. What I like to be personally involved in is science and history because I feel like it's something where our family can do it all together. It can bring us together. Our field trips can be together and our discussions can be together. Right now, what I do is high school science for everybody and they get what they get out of it and high school history for everybody and they get what they get out of it. And so some days the younger kids are a little bored. Some days the older kids, we have to go too slow. Some days I'm doing a hands-on activity and the older kids are thinking this is really lame, but I try to just make sure that it balances so that we're trying to hit everybody's, everybody's age level on some of the days rather than trying to have a separate curriculum for every age level. Does that make sense? So we're, we're going to do hands-on activities some of the time. We're going to do field trips some of the time, but we're going to use those subjects to bring ourselves together. And also I think those two subjects enable me to give my worldview to my children, which is important to me. Like I said, you are the expert in your experience. So if science and history are not the things that you want to spend the time with your kids, then, then do something else. What your children really want for school is you. They want your time. They want your attention. They want your, you looking into their eyes. They want you talking about ideas with them. They want you cheering when they learn something new. That's what they want. And so find the subjects where you can make the most of you and make the most of those in your home. All of our children are going to have holes in their education. All of our children are going to be missing something. All of our children are going to have incredible strengths. Heavenly Father gave your children to you because of what you had to offer them, because of who you are. And so to have confidence in that and take those parts of you and make sure you are distilling those to your children because you are what they want. Emphasize the things that bring you energy and joy, and you will have joy in your homeschool. As you schedule your homeschool for the year, 
I encourage you to spend four days on each subject through the year. That will get you through the curriculum in a year, and then you can add extra curricular subjects as desired. Sometimes people ask me if we have a schedule or a rhythm, and how I define those as a schedule is when things happen at a certain time, and a rhythm is when it happens in a certain order. I think successful schedules rest on rhythms. So we have to have a rhythm of things we do in the same order, which gradually takes on a timing. But then if we fall off our timing, we can drop back to our rhythm. One of the people I really admire about this is the famous swimmer, Michael Phelps. And every time he goes to swim a race, he does the same warm up in the same order. It's like a 27 step process. And when he gets to his swim, he's already done so much of his process that that's just easy. That's all he has left to do is swim his race. And the thing I learned from that is if we can have the same rhythm, then when we put it to a schedule, we can go back to that rhythm and we can be successful. We know it comes history, then math, whatever we need to do in the right order. That's been really helpful to us. And the story of him doing that is in a great book. If you haven't read it, I recommend it. Essentialism by Greg McEwen. Okay, it's my perspective that you need to keep records, records for every child every year. What I do is I have a file folder. I put anything interesting in that folder. And at the end of the year, I make a portfolio for every student. I just use those three-pronged folders that are 10 cents in July. And I have each kid make their portfolio. Starting in seventh or eighth grade, I'm going to give grades on some subjects and include the grades in their, in their folder. And in high school, I'm, I do grades and transcripts every year so that when the situation comes that they need a transcript or that they need records or proof. We already have them. I have my younger students keep their records in a, in a student planner that just has, you know, eight subjects down the side and the days of the week across the top. And it's just basically a checklist, but then they know this is what I have to get done every day. For my older students, I use Homeschool Planet and I'm going to go through it really quickly. You log on and give each of your kids a little picture. You set up the days of your school year, what's gonna be a break. This is this year you can see for December, we took a couple of weeks off. We took Martin Luther King day off and I scheduled the entire week of President's day off. I used to take the whole week totally off. Now what I do is I mark it off. And then when we get to it, I put it back on and it, but nothing's scheduled so we can, catch up or get ahead or recover, whatever we need to do on those holiday weeks. You'll get a blank calendar and you can add a class. You see right here, add a, pick what class you want. It'll pop up here with a box and you're gonna fill in all of these things from, so you, you write down what subject, you have drop down menus of your students so you can add however many students you want to to each class. Then you fill in when the class occurs. I usually make mine have no particular time so they can, it's not as much a schedule, but you could use it as a schedule if you wanted to. And then you can go through and assign your lessons in whatever creative pattern you want to. And you can track their grading. You can also track their hours. So if you have a subject like practicing the piano, you can just track their hours how long they've spent on those subjects. And then it will put everything into a, this beautiful chart. And I mean, this exactly explains why you might feel bonkers homeschooling a bunch of kids because that's a lot of things to keep track of. And so for me, this has been a game changer to be able to take all of that, all those things I'm keeping track of. How many lessons does this child have to do in math? Where are they in the book? What was their last test grade? All these things are now here in Homeschool Planet. And you can also filter it down so it's not everyone's calendar at a time. You can look at just one student at a time. And they can go in, students who have their own access to the internet, like a smartphone or whatever, can go in and they can check off their work and update how much time they spent on things on their own. And so I don't even have to do most of the record keeping. I primarily use this for high school, some for middle school. I do have my elementary school kids, if there's a subject that has lesson numbers in it, like their reading lesson book, 
so that I can keep track of it. But of course they don't, they don't look at it. The elementary kids don't look at it. They don't have their own phones. Um, Homeschool Planet is the name of that. And I understand they will be having a sale in March. I don't know any details, but you can watch for that. A lot of times they're available on Homeschool Buyers Co-op if you use that website. So now we're back, we're almost out of time. We're back to the beginning. Mary Fielding Smith. The One of the things that I admire the most about her is that she went the speed that her family could go. Every morning she would get up early and work harder so that they could walk slower across. We need to have the confidence about the speed that we can go. And we need to remember that it's okay if we have to walk slower. And it's hard because we are comparing to the people around us all the time, often subconsciously. When we see someone who has their kid in more things or seems to be serving more or having their house cleaner or whatever, whatever comparison it is that we make. And we need to have the confidence that when you see someone doing something different, to have the confidence that your speed is just right for you. And if you will build your life intentionally, starting with that firm spiritual foundation, making sure you take care of mom, putting those strong systems in place, those academic achievements will be the pinnacle of success and they will be fruitful and they will be lovely. And when you infuse them with yourself, they will be joyful. And I hope that you will find this coming year to be better than last year because those 1% improvements make it so. I'm really thankful that you came and I pray that the Lord will bless you for taking parenting and education so seriously and giving it your best efforts. I know that he strengthens me every step of the way and I'm very grateful for that. Latter-day Saint Home Educators is a nonprofit, all-volunteer organization dedicated to providing inspiration to homeschool families. We hope you enjoyed this recording. If you are interested in listening to more recordings or would like to participate in a future conference, please visit our website at ldshe.org.